Would you please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? Passage that was read earlier, Acts chapter 2, from verse 37 to 47. Let me just locate us um, where we've been and where we are going. We've been doing a series called Rediscover Church. And part of why we've been doing that is we are finally coming out of a long time, quite literally years, of a pandemic when many aspects of our lives together as a church were curtailed and compromised and even maybe done away with completely. So we are doing the series Rediscover Church because, one, we forget. And we're like, oh yeah, what, what are we supposed to do again? When did we do that? Why did we do that again? And this is what that's designed to help us with. So earlier we talked about who is the church. She's the beloved bride of Christ. We talked about what the church does. She gathers week by week because her king and her lord has called her for a gathering every week, and she gathers to listen to her king and her lord every week. And then last week, we talked about membership, this formal, structured agreement between Christians to be a church. It's the structure that God gave. Today, however, we're talking about fellowship. Okay? So one way of thinking about it is, if membership is a house, Fellowship is the home. The house is the structure. The home is what happens inside that house. You can have a big and beautiful house and a terrible home, right? So, membership is the structure that provides the ability and the environment that allows for loving fellowship to happen. Or maybe think of it like a human body. You have skeleton and flesh. Membership is the skeleton. It gives us structure. Fellowship, the loving relationship between members of the church, is like the flesh on top of that skeleton. It's the muscles and tendons and blood vessels and organs all held on top of that structure. Okay? And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about. Fellowship. Now, if you're visiting with us, you might have read in the bulletin or known about us that we are committed to expositional preaching, in, in which we take the text of scripture and go through it systematically and make the point of the text the point of the sermon. I promise you that's what we usually do. I promise you. However, part of why we are doing this series is we want to step back and ask, what does the whole Bible, especially the text in front of us in the New Testament, what do they tell us as a church about fellowship, about how we should be doing that? Okay? And if you've been in the series, you might be thinking, you know, yes, we are told to gather, I gather, we are told to be members, I'm a member. I come every week, I went through discovering ECC, what do you want from me? I show up and I'm a member. Yeah, that's it. That's like me telling you, I had a wedding, I show up every evening in my house for family devotion, what more do you want from me? My wife's not going to be like, yay. Right? We instinctively know something's wrong with that that there's a kind of relationship we are supposed to be having. God has graciously spoken about the house, but he has also graciously spoken about the home, how we Christians are supposed to relate and love each other. Now, fellowship is one of those words that is so common in Christian circles that it's very easy to misunderstand and to misuse. In fact, fellowship is one of those words that we tend to infuse our own meaning and preferences into the word. Here are some examples of a wrong understanding of fellowship. 
you might have done this, and I, I definitely have done this. Review fellowship as <clears throat> based on our joint experiences. Yes, Pastor, I go to church, but my fellowship is the singles. This is my fellowship. This is where I love the people. Yes, yes, we go to church, but my fellowship is the premarital counseling group. Sometimes our fellowship is based on our joint expression. All of us are artists, so we have the artists' fellowship. Or all of us are bikers. We all like our Harley Davidsons, and we have the bikers' fellowship. Yes, 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 I go to church, but these guys, this is where I find my fellowship. And sometimes our fellowship is based on a kind of engagement. We have a cause that we rally behind. We want to change education. We want to be fearless influencers of society. We want to be the movers and shakers. And this fellowship is for the people who want to see society improve. But is that what God meant by fellowship? A few more. Sometimes our fellowship is based on a common emotion or a felt need. Not a real need, but a felt need. Pastor, this is the Pilates fellowship. We believe that we should stretch and take care of the body temple. Sometimes our fellowship is based on ethnicity, the African fellowship, or the Kenyan fellowship. When I was in, I had the privilege of going to Dallas, Texas, and in Dallas, there is a Kenyan church. Now, to be clear, these are all good English speakers. They went to America. During the week, they speak English, but they started a Kenyan church. Not only that, they started a church for their tribe, a Kikuyu church, and then a Luo church. And I'm like, okay, so you left Kenya to travel here and start a tribal church? <laughs> Last one, sometimes you can have fellowship based on exclusivity. Same socioeconomic strata, kind of middle and upper class, movers and shakers. This is the fellowship that's trying to influence the world. But friend, none of these are what that biblical word fellowship means. And I hope to show you and I from scripture that fellowship is a work of the Holy Spirit in which he unites believers to God and to one another through Christ. I hope to show us from the Bible that fellowship is formed by the word. Fellowship is faith at work. Fellowship is fueled by prayer. And fellowship fully displays the gospel. We're going to look at several passages, but we're going to kind of anchor ourselves in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, the context is in Acts chapter 1, King Jesus has risen. He's given the disciples their marching orders, be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit shows up in power. Peter preaches a message. People get saved and the church is born. That's where we find ourselves. So Acts chapter 2, I'll read from verse 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. 
to those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds of all as any had need. And by and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Would you help me step out of your way? Would you please speak to me and speak through me to the end that our lives may be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? Forbid it, Lord, that anyone except you should get glory at this time. And so, Lord, what we do not have, please give us through your word. What we do not know, please teach us through your word. And what we are not, please make us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What is fellowship? Admittedly, fellowship is one of those words that's easier to observe than it is to describe. But fellowship is a work of the Holy Spirit in which he unites believers to God and to each other through Christ. And if you're looking for mental handles to see where we are going with this, here's four of them. Fellowship is number one, formed by the word. Two, fellowship is faith at work. Three, fellowship is fueled by prayer. And lastly, fellowship fully displays the gospel. Work, rather word, work, prayer, gospel. So let's jump in. Fellowship is formed by the word of God. The fellowship of God's people is formed, informed, and reformed by the word of God. Look at verse 37 of Acts 2. It says they were cut to the heart. That language is the language of regeneration. It's what Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27 talks about. That God would take out a heart of stone and give us a new heart. Give us a heart of flesh. Fill our hearts with his spirit and move us to obey his commands. These people are cut to the heart because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word about Christ. They have heard this word. The Holy Spirit has brought them to life, cut them to heart, and now they can repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Now, they can have fellowship with God. They can be saved. They were regenerated and received by God before they were belonging to the people of God. They were believing in Christ before they were belonging to the fellowship of Christ. Which means this was a very clearly defined group. They were the believers. And how did we know they were the believers? It says, the breaking of bread. The Lord's Supper was a circle around them and said, these people who participate in Holy Communion have communion with the Holy One and His Holy Ones. These ones. These are the ones who have fellowship with God and with each other. The Word of God is what forms the fellowship. Literally, the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, created this fellowship. But the word of God not only creates and forms the fellowship by bringing 
people who are in darkness into light, it also forms the, the fellowship in terms of growing it, giving it shape, and sustaining it. Mark it down. God's word is the final authority on how God's people are to live in God's house. God has a lot to say about how we are supposed to treat one another in the church. He has a lot to say about how his kids behave in his house. Here are some commands that God gives concerning how we treat one another, because that's what fellowship is, how we treat one another as believers. John 13, 34, love one another just as I have loved you. John 13, 34, you are also to love one another. John 15, 12, love one another as I have loved you. Romans 12, 10, love one another. Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, 13, do not pass judgment on one another. Romans 15, 7, welcome one another. Romans 15, 14, instruct one another. Romans 16, 16, greet one another. 1 Corinthians 16, 20, greet one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, comfort one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, agree with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another. Galatians 5, 26, do not provoke one another. Galatians 5, 26, do not envy one another. Galatians 6, 2, Bear one another's, one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.2 Bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4.25 Speak the truth with one another. Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32 Be tender-hearted to one another. Ephesians 4.32 Forgive one another. Ephesians 5.19 Address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Ephesians 5.21 Submit to one another. Colossians 3.9 do not lie to one another. Colossians 3.16, admonish one another in all wisdom. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another and build up one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, do good to one another. James 4.11, do not speak evil against one another. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. James 5.16, pray for one another. First Peter 1.22 Love one another earnestly. First Peter 4.8 Keep loving one another earnestly. First Peter 4.9 Show hospitality to one another. First Peter 4.10 Serve one another. First Peter 5.5 5, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. First Peter 5.14 Greet one another. Do you see? God has a lot to say about how you and I are supposed to treat one another. And that's what fellowship is. It's the home in which we treat one another. So, ECC, let me, let me press in on you and I and ask. What informs how you treat your fellow member in this church? Is it kind of autopilot? And what I mean by autopilot is you react based on whatever emotion or attitude you may have toward that person at the present time. Brother Rainer might say something that upsets me, and I'm like, ah, they haven't passed, which is Spanish for get lost. Or is the Afrikaners that say, ah, futsak, go away. Is that how I treat members of the church? No. God has actually told me how to treat members of the church. And I have to go back to that every single time I'm treating you and you're treating me a certain way. What does God command? Which is why the very first clause 
of our church covenant says this, we will live together, that's what fellowship is, doing life with one another, we will live together under the supreme authority of the triune God as revealed in the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what determines how we treat one another. And if you're sitting there thinking, that sounds like hard work, that's because it is. Which brings us to our second point. Fellowship is faith at work. Fellowship is formed and informed by the word of God, but fellowship is faith at work. It's God's people actively caring for the bodies and souls of our siblings in obedience to God's work. Remember, the church is not a group of friends that you and I choose for ourselves. The church is a family that God chose for us. Therefore, fellowship is the place in which our faith in God is tested, purified, and put to work. The fellowship is the place where all the one another commands of the, of the Bible are actually lived out and fleshed out. And you even see that here in Acts chapter 2, that they care for bodies and souls, because that's what a fellowship does. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. In other words, number one, they were together. They were in enough physical or in close enough physical proximity with each other to know how the other person is doing, what their life is actually like. They could see this and touch it. But also, they had all things in common. Now, that doesn't mean they were communists. Like, they didn't really own everything. The church owned everything. You know, whatever they get from their, their salary, they kind of just bring it to the church. That's not what that means. We know that's not what that means because it says they sold possessions that they owned. There was obviously private ownership of property. When it says they had all things in common, it means they were ready and willing to voluntarily share whatever material goods they had with their siblings who were in physical need in the church. That's how they understood fellowship. The end goal was benevolence to care for the physical needs of their siblings. That's why James 2, 14, 16 puts it this way. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Right from the beginning, there was a mechanism of benevolence in the church. That their understanding of fellowship is, I will care for your physical needs as my sibling in the faith. Some of you know the story of my grandmother. Was orphaned and widowed and dis disenfranchised and disinherited. And she, by God's grace, was saved went to the church, and it is the church that gave her a plot of land and built her a mud-thatched hut in which she could raise my father and his siblings. Now, the church didn't have a lot, but they understood this is our sister. She's literally hungry, she's literally homeless, and literally, quote-unquote, naked, and they cared for her. 
You see, see, this is why, by the way, we have a benevolence ministry. Because we are saying we want to have fellowship with you, not only in abundance, but in need. So are you a member of this church and you have some real, physical, material needs? We have a deacon for benevolence ministry. He's a good, godly man called Daniel. Please call him. He's ready and willing to help. And if you're embarrassed, don't be. The reason we want you to come to him is so that we can help you. Because that's what fellowship looks like. Do you know a member of this church who is hungry, doesn't have food, or they're sick and could cook the whole week? Who's going to take care of that? Us or Taliban? <laughs> Answer? <laughs> Us. Not Taliban. We do what Daniel and Mary Sierra did when they discovered that one of the members of this church and his family was sick and unable to cook meals for themselves. They rallied members of the church and said, hey, sign up to give these guys some food. So much so that at a point they were like, okay, we have enough, thanks. We are not trying to get obese. <laughs> Praise God. That's the point. This is also, by the way, why we give to church. Because we give generously, cheerfully, and intentionally to this local church knowing that some of the proceeds of your giving is going to take care of the physical needs that your siblings have. You might never know them. You might never know them until you get to heaven. And then God will commend you for caring and quite literally keeping your sibling alive. This is why we try and be together to physically open up our homes to each other, that we may love on each other and be hospitable because that's the command of what we are supposed to do in the fellowship. And you might be saying, but I have nothing to share with them. Then just share your time. That's enough. God has designed that fellowship takes care of the body and the soul. In fact, especially the soul. We are embodied souls. And it wouldn't make sense to take really good care of the outer man that is aging and dying and going away and ignore the inner man who is being renewed every day into the image of Jesus Christ. The fellowship was given so that that inner man can grow and thrive. And the fundamental way that the Bible talks about that is in loving truth that shows itself in peaceful unity. In loving truth that shows itself in peaceful unity. So, what is the great command in one word? It's not a trick question. Not a question. What is the great commandment in one word? Love, right? And the Bible fleshes out exactly how we are to love. John, the apostle, is often called the apostle of love. Listen to how he says we should love. 1 John 2, 9-10. Whoever says he is in the light, in other words, a believer, and hates his brother is still in the darkness. In other words, an unbeliever. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Or 1 John 4, 19-21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Listen, the Apostle John 
is not making the argument that a fellowship and a church where people are loving one another is a mark of maturity. That's not his argument. He's not arguing that if you walk into a church and see members of the church loving one another, that's a mark of a mature person. He's saying that's a mark of a saved person. That's not a mark of maturity. That's a mark of salvation. That they are saved and saved people love one another. Now at that point you might pause and say, but surely Pastor Christian, am I supposed to walk into the church and just be overwhelmed by these intense, warm, fuzzy feelings of love? Every time I walk into the church. Well, no. Because love is not fundamentally about warm, fuzzy feelings. Love is seeking someone else's highest good in Christ. That's why we act in love. It can be accompanied by emotion, but it is acting in someone else's highest good, for their highest good in Christ. Which means... God who is love and God who is truth, you can't separate love and truth. Consider again the Apostle John, 1 John 3.18. Little children, let us not love in word and talk, but in deed and truth. Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head, into Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, love rejoices in the truth. Christian fellowship is marked by people who are lovingly truthful with the Lord and with one another. They are able to obey scripture and confess their sins to one another and be healed. Again, mark it down. Fellowship in the local church is the primary place where you and I bear and live out the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. There's this plant native to Mexico called a tomatillo, and it sounds like its name, like a small tomato, small tomato. That's what it actually is, tomatillo. Now, if you grab a tomatillo and you plant a single tomatillo, get the stem or the seed and plant it, it will grow, but it will never bear fruit. If you get a bunch of tomatillos and plant them at the same time, they will grow and produce a lot of fruit. Christians are like tomatillos. We don't bear fruit alone. You put us around each other, where we are doing life with one another, then we start bearing the fruit of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Then we are eager to maintain unity and peace because we are marked by love. So let me ask us, ECC, do we love one another? Okay, let me be a bit more specific. Who in this church, if you remember, who in this church can say that you are concerned for their soul? Who in this church can say that you are working to help them grow and become more like Christ? Who in this church can say that you have opened up your heart and your home to them? Who in this church can say that you have confessed your sins to them? And I'm not talking about a pastor. Which member of this church can say that you have confessed the deepest, darkest sins that you are currently struggling with? Who in this church can say that you have rebuked them in love when you saw them go astray? Who in this church can say that you have been patient with them and forgiven them when they have offended you? Who in this church can say that you 
have reconciled with them when you cause them offense? Who in this church can say that you have rebuked them and that you took it with gladness as a sign that they loved you? Who in this church can say you have been gentle with them and you're always working toward peace and unity with them? Brothers and sisters, if we are going to be a church that has biblical fellowship, then we're just going to have to get used to some very awkward, very weird, very difficult conversations, but also very spiritually useful conversations. For you, maybe you're thinking, actually, now that I think about it, I do have people in my life who help me see my sin and who I can do the same for, who show me love and and I receive it and I give the love, who I'm hospitable with, who I open my home to. Praise God! But can I ask a follow-up question? The people who do that for you, the people who care for your soul, do they look exactly like you? When you tell me, yeah, there are people who look after my soul, and you're a Filipino, and I ask you, hey, so who are these people? And your answer is, who are so-and-so, and ate so-and-so. <laughs> hmm. So they're all Filipinos. To ask you who's caring for your soul, and you ask me that question, I'm like, ah, there's this guy who speaks Yoruba, this other guy who speaks Swahili, this other guy who speaks Tosa. It's like, ah, they all happen to have the same continent, okay. To ask you who's caring for your soul, and you're like, ah, my friend from Bangalore, we came here with them. And my other friend who's from Kerala, they're from a village next to where my mom used to live. It's like, ah. Because you see, if that's you, you're missing one of the most beautiful things about fellowship that God gave his church. God didn't just want us to have deep fellowship. He wanted us to have broad fellowship. Not just deep in him and deep spiritually, but broad across every political, social, economic, natural difference we have. Not just with our own kinsmen according to the flesh, but with all people from everywhere. Consider Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18 to 19. Look at how it's both deep and broad. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. And he's saying, both Jews and Gentiles now have fellowship with God through Christ. Oh, and by the way, they now have fellowship with each other. Equal citizens. There's no Jewish church or gentle church, Gentile church. No Kenyan church, no Filipino church, no Indian church. Because you see, friend, if our fellowship has just these pockets of people in their own kinsmen, and we call it a church, really, those communities would exist even if God didn't. But when the community makes no other sense except that God has worked in the hearts of these people, that tells the world this thing is real. So an example from our church. There's a younger, tall gentleman called Temba Malindi. He's from South Africa. His native language is Isikosa. And yes, there's a click in the middle. Younger man, good man, South African, born and raised there. Then there's another venerable gentleman in our congregation, the oldest member of our congregation, David Winning, from the great land of Scotland. He's very white. 
not as tall as Temba. Does not speak Isiktosa. I'm pretty sure these two do not agree on the best kind of music that exists out there. I'd really like to see the both of them dancing. I suspect David would be the better dancer. You realize these guys have nothing in common. But I promise you, if they were both white or they were both black, you would have concluded Temba is David's son. The way they relate with each other, they might as well be a dad and his boy. They have nothing in common, except the most important thing, Jesus Christ. That can't be explained any other way. And that should not only mark David and Temba, it should mark all of us. So, for you and I, as ECC, here's what that means practically. We are going to have to get out of our comfort zone. <laughs> Get out of our comfortable enclaves, as is the case with most commands. Are you married and have a home? Consider inviting some single people to your home. Are you young? Visit the elderly. I guarantee you, you will benefit far more from them than they will from you. Are you elderly? Talk to the young. If you're on the younger side, if you're single, take care of the children. Go to Ben and ask him, put me to work. What do I need to do? Make his life so difficult that he has more people asking to help with the children's ministry than you don't want to do it. Are you a teenager? Then get to know someone who's not a teenager. Because I guarantee you the rest of your life you're not just going to be hanging around with your teenage buddies. Are you not a teenager? Go help with the youth group. Are you an extrovert? Slow down and befriend an introvert. Are you an introvert? Greet somebody. Anybody. <laughs> Do you have a well-paying job? Make friends with someone who doesn't have a well-paying job. If you're not so well-paid off, learn to love and not envy those who are well-paid. If you're Indian, Consider whether you're inviting your black friends into your life the same way you invite your Indian friends into your life. Do you have black friends in ECC? If you're black, consider inviting your white friends into the church, from the church rather, into your home. Do you have white friends? If you're Latino and you share this joy and laughter and liveliness about you, consider inviting the Filipinos to enjoy that too. If you're Filipino, make it your ambition this year to know non-Filipinos in the church. A practical way about that is don't just leave like a bullet after church. <laughs> Go to the foyer, do the awkward thing of walking up to someone, and here's an easy question to ask. Hi, are you a member of this church? I guarantee you only good things will happen after that. And in fact... It is partly for this reason that we are changing the structure of life groups. That they're not going to be, I really like Adam, I want to be in Adam's group. They're going to be geographically based. We are all going to sign up even if we were in a small group. How do I know who's in this small group? I have no idea. It's going to be great. Who am I going to meet in a small group? A bunch of Filipinos and Indians and Africans and who knows what else. That's the point. So that this community doesn't just study God's word, it's not just formed by God's word, but does the hard work 
of fellowshipping in obedience to God's word. And if you feel some kind of way about that, that's good. It means certain spiritual muscles in your body are being stretched that hadn't been used before. Fellowship is formed by the word. Fellowship is faith at work. Fellowship is fueled by prayer. The fellowship of God's people is fueled by prayer with one another and for one another. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it said they didn't just devote themselves to the teaching, but they devoted themselves to prayer. In, in, in Acts, this is just not a thing in Acts 2, by the way. It's a pattern through the whole book of Acts. In Acts 1, they are praying and God helps them change leadership. In Acts 2, they are praying and the Holy Spirit shows up and gives birth to the church. In Acts 4, they are praying and they are given boldness to be better witnesses. In Acts 8, they are praying for the Samaritans to be saved. In Acts 12, there's an interesting passage when Peter was in prison, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made, made to God by the church. The church met as a church to pray for Peter. In Acts 13, they were praying when God set aside global missionaries and the global missionary movement, so to speak, was born. Do you see? The church has always had times of corporate prayer. It seems that even then, they had times where they just need to do nothing but fast and pray. Why? Because the fellowship recognized the things we are hoping God to do, we can't do them. <coughs> I generally don't pray about which shoes I will wear. I just find them and put them on. But I guarantee you I pray about my unbelieving friends dressing. Because I recognize I can't do that. God has to. And the church recognized that as a church, we have not because we ask not. So we ask as a church, as a fellowship. But we don't only pray as a church, we pray for one another. The church was commanded and has been commanded, James 5.16, pray for one another. James, who specifically? All Christians everywhere? No. The ones that are in your church. You know, this church has an interesting history with that. There was a time in an earlier portion of our history that the church had been meeting, they'd been granted some land to, to meet and pray and have services, and then the government was like, ah, you actually don't have a permit to meet here, so no more meetings. And Pastor Cam Aronson didn't go and say, I'm going to bang down the government's door. What do you, this is unacceptable. He told the church, guys, let us pray. And just in the nick of time, God in his providence answered that prayer and gave ECC not only the ability to meet, eventually the ability to be where you are seated right now. That's not coincidence. That's God responding to prayer. And what prayer says is, God, we are dependent on you. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to do these things. So ECC, let's make a deal. Okay, Where prayer is concerned, let's make a deal. There are only 11, prayers, 11 prayer meetings left in the year. Let's agree that for the rest of the year, as long as we are here in Abu Dhabi, we are going to go for congregational prayer meetings. It's every second Sunday in the basement hall where we pray as a church. We have a privilege of talking to God. We must use it and we get to use it. Do you want to see God provide for ECC? Pray. 
Do you want to see the kids in ECC saved? The youth grown and protected? We pray. Do we want to see the kind of love and help and hospitality that only God can produce happen among us? Then let's pray. Want to see the unreached reached through us? Let's pray. But we don't only pray as a church. We pray for one another. And you're probably there thinking, yeah, but how do I do that? There's so many people. Ah, glad you asked. There's this nice little doohickey called a membership directory. How it works is it has the names of all the people we should be doing the one another's with. So today is the 29th of January. I prayed through page 29. And it took me all of three minutes. How do you do that? Lord, I pray for my brother Jonathan. I pray that he may grasp how high and deep and long and wide is the love you have for him in Christ Jesus. Done. Lord, I pray for my brother Bogan. I pray that he may grasp how high and deep and long and wide is the love you have just for him in Christ Jesus and to grasp that love together with all the saints. Done. Next. Do you see? If it takes three minutes, just wake up three minutes earlier in your day and you can pray through a page of the directory. In a month, you'd have prayed for the whole church. So let's make a deal that one of your resolutions or ambitions this year and mine as well, is going to be to pray through the membership directory every month. One page a day. Fellowship is formed by the word of God. Fellowship is faith at work, and it is hard work. Fellowship is fueled by prayer. But lastly, fellowship fully displays the gospel. The fellowship of God's people is a visible display of the gospel. Consider what Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, God's greatest evangelist is the church. Specifically, how a church loves one another. That communicates to unbelievers, you people are weird and I want to know why. That communicates to them, our God is love. Our God is real. That's why our love for one another, across all of these barriers, is real. And this is not theoretical. This actually has happened throughout church history. In the second century, the century just after the Bible was written, there was an African pastor theologian called Tertullian. Tertullian, writing in his books during persecution, would say, if the Nile does not rise, if the heavens give no rain, if there is an earthquake, famine, or pestilence, straight away the cry is, the Christians to the lions. But those same Romans who despised, tortured, and persecuted Christians would also tell Tertullian, as he writes, See how these Christians love one another. See how they are ready to die for one another. The very people who despise them recognize there's something going on with these people that we can't explain. We hate each other's guts and we are the same. These guys are different and they love each other. Yeah, that's because only Christ can produce that. And maybe you're here and you're an unbeliever and you're wondering, these Christians, why, why is it that they act like this? It's because of what Christ has done for us. 
Friend, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you were designed for eternal family. You were designed to have fellowship with God and with God's people. You, however, are a sinner and God has no fellowship with those who are in active rebellion against him and spitting on his commands. But God graciously sent his son who lived the life you were supposed to live but couldn't and died a death on behalf of all sinners who would ever believe in him. And on that cross, he was taking the punishment meant for you. He died, descended, rose, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will be back to judge the living and the dead. On that day, what will matter is how you responded to Jesus Christ. Did you turn away from your sin and trust in him? If you do that, you turn away from your sin and trust in him, you get God for a father. Jesus Christ for a big brother. And the Holy Spirit for a best friend. And you get all of us for your family. Forever. And that need you feel to be reconciled to God is done. And that need you feel to have eternal family can only be met in this way. Yes, we are supposed to engage in personal evangelism and tell other people about Jesus, even invite them to church. But also how we actually love one another, that is a witness to the unbelievers who we bring around us. So a couple of questions as we close. Question number one, especially if you're an unbeliever guy. Do you have fellowship with God and therefore with his people? You have deep intimate, meaningful fellowship with God and his people. Question number two, especially if you're a member of this church, of this family, will you and I step out of our comfort zones and do the uncomfortable thing of seeking to love one another? I dare you, today, not tomorrow, today as you go to the foyer, do the awkward thing of walking up to someone who doesn't look like you, stretching out your hand and saying, hi, my name is so-and-so. Are you a member of this church? I dare you to do that immediately after this service at the foyer. Only good things will happen from that. Number three, will we pray as a church and for one another? If God was to answer yes to 100% of your prayers, would any of your siblings in the faith be more like Christ at the end of the week? If no, today is the day to start. And lastly, will we so love one another that our friends and family who don't know Jesus, who are around us and our church, will have to admit God must be among them? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Grant, O oh God, that you would do a work in our hearts to love one another in this way. Lord, we are not able to do it. But by your Son and by your Spirit who lives in us, we are able to. Grant that we would do this to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.